Our Old Testament passage today begins the book of Esther, chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarter, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to his palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. All right, now here's this one favor again. And notice, she didn't look like she'd been fasting. She got all dressed up. She put on her royal robes. Now, when you go to us, go with us to Israel. We are often in Jerusalem during the Feast of Purim, which celebrates what Queen Esther did. And you see all the little girls dressed up in beautiful gowns and little tiara crowns because they want to be Queen Esther. Okay, She had just finished a three-day fast, no food, no water, but she puts on her royal robes. She won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of a scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And while they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it will be fulfilled. <laughs> and Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and to fulfill my request. Let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Now, <laughs> this is called set the stage, okay? I mean, she is setting the stage. This is a very wise woman. She doesn't just take advantage. She pours on the beautiful feast for the king and this guy who's trying to kill him. You know, she, she shows the king that she doesn't hate this man and she's not fighting this man. She's providing him a feast. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. <laughs> Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Jeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced above all the officials. All right, brag time. This is brag time. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one come with me but, but the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow I'm also invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Jerish, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully to the king, with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. <laughs> Now, forgive me, I just want you to notice 
Satan's preempt. Satan preempted, notice, before the feast, then go. So Satan said, let me give you some advice. Gave him some advice by his wife and his friends. Satan said, murder Mordecai, then go to dinner with the queen. Ah. You see, when God has a plan, it's always amazing how Satan will try to preempt the fulfillment of God's plan. But you do not outfox God. Okay? Now notice, Satan's trying to preempt this. But now, before we ever got to the morning, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found how Mordecai had told about Begthada and Teresh, two of the king's units who guarded the threshold, and who sought to lay hands on King Asherus. And the king said, What honor or distinction was bestowed upon Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him say, Nothing has been done for him. So notice, Satan preempts, God preempts Satan. <laughs> Keeps this guy awake at night. And the king said, who is in the court? Now, again, God could not have preempted if Mordecai had not done the right thing. Okay? Doing the right thing gives God something to work with. Doing the right thing gives God something. If Mordecai just thought, oh, it's not in my business. And the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men said to him, Haman is here standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said, whom should, would the king like to Honor more than me, okay? Ego. Ego, pride before a fall. And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn. Let the horse that the king has ridden, and on his head a royal crown be set. All right, so one, two, and three. Three things. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let them dress the man whom the Lord delights to honor, and lead them on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And Haman and king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse, if you had said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate, leave out nothing that you have mentioned. <laughs> Don't you wish you could have seen Haman's face? So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning, and with his head covered. He is humiliated. And Haman told his wife, Jerish, and all his friends everything that had happened. Then his wise men and his wife said to him, 
If Mordecai, by whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. So notice there is a begin to fall, and then there is a fall. <laughs> now there's a truth you need to get a hold of. Sometimes people begin to fall, and you go, God, why aren't you taking care of them? Well, this is just the beginning. While they were yet talking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther has prepared. So the king and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, I bet that was a quiet dinner. The king again said to Esther, what is, it, what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it will be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted to me for my wish and my people for my request. Should she saying, My life, my people's life. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, she said, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Asher said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went to the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they had been drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, and the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? And as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Men came in. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king was abated. How often do we see in scriptures, beloved, that when people lay traps for you, they fall into their own traps. Here is one of the greatest illustrations in the scripture of a man who, because of his pride and his hatred, stirred up by the devil to kill the Jewish people, to kill, forgive me, to kill the future Messiah that was coming into this world. God turned the trap back on his own head. All right, let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in the very famous 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the Spirit. He said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Another translation says ignorant, same difference. See, ignorance and stupid are two different things. Stupid means you know better. Ignorant means you have no knowledge. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to dumb idols, however you were led. He said, listen, when you, when you were worshiping idols, you were worshiping demons, you were, you were led astray. He said, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. So notice we have gifts, we have service. There are varieties of activities, how these gifts and services operate. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So notice the, spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are given to us. We do not possess them. The manifestation, the Holy Spirit making clear. This word literally means the making clear. The, the manifestation, the Holy Spirit showing his reality is given for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now another here is allos. It means another of the same kind. To another... Now we're here in heteros, another of a different kind. To another, faith by the same spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the same spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, all of these others are allos until you get down here to another, to another various tongues. And here we get another heteros. So we have different types of people that are used in different groupings of the Spirit. A person who is used in a, a gift of tongues is often used in the gift of interpretation. A person who's used in a word of wisdom is also often used in a word of knowledge. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he will. So in other words, the gifts of the Spirit don't function because you want them to function. The gifts of the Spirit are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We are all made to drink of the one Spirit. Now notice there's the concept of drinking of the Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So God arranges the members of the body as he chooses. Now, beloved, this is why I don't believe in taking these 
what do they call them, personality tests and ministry personality tests. I've never believed in that because at best, it's a psychological exam that can tell you who you have been, not who God is making you. So I like to let God arrange the members of the body. I don't like to tell people, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. I like to ask people, what is it that God is putting in your heart to do? When we get ready to start thinking about sending a pastor to a new area, Pastor Pagadora just is opening the church now for us in Cavite. Wasn't that long ago he was sitting in the office and I said, now, Pastor Pagadora, you've been with me all these years. What is it that you would like to do? What, what do you want to do now with your life? You've, you've been children's pastor. You've been youth ministry. You've, you've done branch churches. You've done everything. What do you want to do? He said, I want to open the Kawit Kavita Church. I said, okay, you've got it. See, God puts things in people's hearts. And as a pastor, what you try to do is allow God to do the arranging of the members of the body because he knows where he's going to fit people, not based on who they used to be, but who he is making them today. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which are more presentable parts do not require. Like, I mean, please forgive me. You, you cover portions of your body, but your face is right out there, all right? But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Now, now this is something as leaders you have to learn, because there are people in the body that, forgive me, are not that presentable. And they require that you give them a little extra honor that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member of the body suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And that's how the church is supposed to work. When somebody gets a promotion, when somebody gets blessed, we should all be happy for each other. Now you are the body of Christ and individually we are members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Of course not. Are all prophets? Of course not. Are all teachers? Of course not. Do all work miracles? Of course not. Do all possess gifts of healing? Of course not. Do all speak in tongues? Of course not. Do all interpret? Of course not. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. Now, let me just emphasize this word, earnestly desire. Beloved, you need to be earnestly desiring the gifts of the Spirit. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, working of miracles, the gift of faith. You need to be earnestly desiring these gifts to function in your life. Now, now these gifts... and. Maybe because of how I grew up, but I, I grew up during the end of the charismatic revival when I got saved. And church service was often a, a, a charismatic carnival of people showing off and trying to show off in gifts of the Spirit. But I've always felt that the gifts of the Spirit were something that operated more in everyday life than in services. Now, yes, they operate in services and people are healed and there are things that you just know to do. 
But you don't have to stand up and say, I have a word of knowledge. I have a word of wisdom. No, you just function in it. You don't have to draw attention to it. You know, one man said, you know, Pastor Summerall, you prophesy more when you're preaching than most people prophesy when they say they're prophesying. I said, well, maybe that's true. We, we pray that God will give us the words to speak. But I've always believed that the, the, the gifts of the Spirit function in everyday life. As a businessman, God gives you a word of knowledge. God gives you a word of wisdom. As a businessman, God gives you a gift of faith. As a frontline worker in the hospital, God gives you gifts of healing, not just in the crusades, but in the hospitals. See, these gifts should function in our lives, not just in the services. Learn to desire the gifts of the Spirit. Learn to let the Holy Spirit use you. And I think you're going to find there's a lot more operating of the gifts of the Spirit than you ever even believed is going on. But you don't have to call attention to it. You just let the Holy Spirit manifest himself. All right, let's turn to the book of Proverbs just for a minute for a little bit of wisdom today. The woman folly is loud. All right, so always remember, foolishness is loud. Okay? You know, the bigger a fool is, the bigger their mouth. All right, you just you just got to get a hold of that. Sometimes you wonder, you know, why are they, I mean, they're, they're talking so foolish. Well, the bigger the fool, the bigger the mouth. Folly is loud. Foolishness is loud. Wisdom is often quiet. She is seductive, all right? So foolishness is loud. Foolishness is seductive. And foolishness knows nothing. <laughs> Three characteristics of foolishness, all right? Three characteristics of foolishness. The characteristics of foolishness. <laughs> Loud, seductive, and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, and she takes a seat in the highest places of the town. Oh, okay. Foolishness, and let's add some more. Foolishness wants prominence. Foolishness always wants to be first calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. So foolishness wants prominence. Foolishness targets those living right, who are going straight on their way. They're doing exactly what God wants them to do. This is who foolishness targets. Whoever is simple, so foolish targets those living right, number one, Secondly, foolish targets the naive, whoever is simple or naive. Let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, okay? People who lack sense. Now, now brothers and sisters, you've got to get a hold of this. Because there are people who are full of foolishness. They've got big mouths. They're seductive. They know nothing. They want prominence. They target people that are living right, walking in the straight path, the naive, and those who lack sense. Wow. The targets. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
but he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now notice, here is the bait. The bait of foolishness. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. In other words, we can do these things and no one can see us. And it's so exciting and it's so much fun. That's the bait. Stay away from foolishness. And everybody said, all right. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, seven o'clock sharp.